Oh. Well, the bull in the china shop at least didn't knock over any guitars doing that move. Did I get this right? Did I just hear Jay confess that he posts socks on Instagram? I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I've got to, I've got to spend some more time on the internet, <laughs> or not. <laughs> I'm gonna figure that out. <laughs> uh, wow. Whew. Well. It's been a rough day today. Uh, you all know that sinking feeling you get when you're up half the night typing up a lesson to teach at church, and then you get up early and jump in the car and drive to the copy place just to find out that they changed their hours. <laughs> you know, that sinking feeling. And I thought I was going to be a nice guy, and they neglected to turn their open sign on this morning. I can't wait to point that out to them. And, and you find out, no, they're closed. <laughs> So it's kind of a coincidental we're kind of teaching on miracles today. I wish I could report. And then I said a special prayer, and the doors of the copy shop flew open wide. <laughs> but it was actually more of a loaves and fishes kind of a thing where I just had one meager copy, and I went to the office and handed it to Denise, and we put it in the copier, and she multiplied it. So I was impressed. <laughs> it's more than I can do. So we got our copies, and we're here, and we'll just see how this goes. But as I said, we're continuing in a series today that is called Supernatural. And what we're trying to do through this series is simply go back and look at certain uh, miracles or certain uh, events in in Christ's life where uh, things supernaturally occurred. And what our hope is, is to try and glean out of this some very practical lessons that can apply to us even today in our in our normal lives. Because there's a lot of stuff going on in that New Testament, and sometimes it's a little tough to go in there and find places to file some of that. So I love an opportunity to touch on, you know, in this case, one of the healing miracles of Christ and, and just see what practical applications can we boil out of this. And before we jump into today's passage, just to lay a foundation under this, uh, one of the things that Mike is really excellent at pointing out is the purpose of miracles in the New Testament. And the way he puts it much better than I, he says that, Miracles exist for faith. Faith does not exist for miracles. And oftentimes I think we get that backwards where we think that the end result, if we have enough faith, should be miracles. But actually, if we study the Bible, it's exactly the opposite. The main purpose of miracles was simply to help people develop a faith to begin with. And, but there's also inherent with that, there's a problem with miracles. The problem with miracles, I believe, boils down to the fact that whenever something supernatural occurs, there always seems to be another logical explanation for it. And with a lower nature like we have in our heads, it's so easy to find a different place to file things. And that was certainly true even 
over 2,000 years ago in Christ's time. Because it, it actually, it's laugh out loud funny. When you read the accounts of the religious leaders back in Christ's day and how they'd follow him around and hound him, and one of the things that they'd say is, if you are who you claim to be, show us a sign. Show us a sign. And you know that had to be infuriating because he's going, show you a sign like what exactly? (laughs) I'm out here every day. I am healing the sick and the lame, and I'm helping the blind to see. I am casting out devils. I'm even raising the dead. And that's like not good enough? (laughs) What more do you need to see? And it's really hilarious that despite all of this evidence and all of these miraculous signs and wonders, they still refuse to believe. The pinnacle of that is at the hour of Christ's death. The sun turned dark, uh, tombs burst open, dead people walked the earth, the huge uh, veil in the, in the temple split in half, and even then, they refuse to believe. So the problem with signs and wonders is it really boils down to where people's hearts are as far as if they are going to choose to believe what they see with their own eyes. And unfortunately, because there's other explanations, if Christ raised somebody from the dead, they just scoff and go, well, they weren't really dead. (laughs) Later when Christ died, they saw the empty tomb and went, well, he was still alive when they put him in there, despite the ritualistic things they did to his body, which probably would kill a person if they weren't already dead. But he's, he, they, and well, then if he didn't walk out of there on his own power, well, then they, they stole the body. And that's why the tomb was empty. And, and they uh, always came up with these alternative explanations. I remember seeing an example of this personally years ago. There was a gentleman from my hometown who had a medical condition. He got a brain tumor. And they did the x-rays. Uh, they did, the, uh, did all the testing. And if I remember the story right, this, this tumor that he had in his head was about the size of a fist. And, and they did the biopsies and found out it was malignant. It was cancerous. But this gentleman had spent many, many years in recovery fields, and he'd worked with a lot of uh, recovering alcoholics and drug addicts, trying to help them get sober and, and help them to get their lives back. So he, he knew a lot of people and people that knew people. And it ended up where this gentleman had people literally all over the world praying for him. And when he finally went in for surgery, what was supposed to be a fist-sized tumor turned out to be maybe a tenth of the size, and it was no longer malignant, no longer cancerous. And obviously, that was a miracle. And even the doctor, who was known to have absolutely no religious fiber whatsoever, used the word miracle to describe what that person had experienced. But I also remember this guy telling how one person approached him and said, you know, you really should sue that doctor and sue that hospital for all the needless pain and suffering they caused you because obviously they misdiagnosed you. (laughs) And he's just going, wow. (laughs) 
that's okay. <laughs> and I just, but that's a perfect example of what we're talking about, how we often wonder what happened to the power of the gospel and why don't we see all that woo-woo-woo stuff going on today? And first of all, I think we do. I believe we live in an age of miracles, but sometimes we don't always know exactly what to look for. But I believe God is as capable today as he ever was of performing miracles. However, I also believe that part of the reason we have these accounts of miracles is to show us the limitations of those in building certain people's faith. It's yet another thing that God tried to do and and he met with very mixed results. Uh, so it really, it always comes back to faith, doesn't it? What do we believe in? And with that in mind, uh, I remember some, you know, when I was struggling for years trying to develop a faith that I had lost many years before or abandoned or tried to con myself out of to enable me to do the things that I was doing without guilt and shame. And then when I finally was in a position where I had to revisit this lost faith, uh, part of the struggle in my life was simply the fact that uh, I just couldn't conjure any faith in God. And I remember going to somebody and talking about my lack of faith, and I love what they said. They said, your problem is not a lack of faith. It's misdirected faith. They said, all your life you've had a tremendous amount of faith. You've just had faith in the wrong things. And when I started to look at it from that angle, I realized that everybody on this planet has faith. It's only a question of where exactly does your faith lie. Some people have tremendous faith in themselves. They are convinced that they're right about things. And other people have faith in their own strength. And I can pull it together and I can beat whatever obstacle gets in my way. Others have faith in other people. They think this other person is going to be my salvation, and they're going to help pull me through these dark times and do things for me. And still others, their faith manifests in what we call addictions. And they have tremendous faith in alcohol or drugs or faith in lady luck and gambling or faith in their jobs and careers or faith in their education. You see, that's what I experienced. Uh, they pointed out to me, Look at how much faith you put in alcohol, despite all of the evidence to the contrary. Even though that stuff kicked your butt a thousand times, you still went back thinking, this time I can trust it again. This time is going to be different. Yeah, it's going to be worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's why I always loved that old Milwaukee commercial. You know, it doesn't get any better than this. That's true. <laughs> Ironically, <laughs> that was truth in advertising. But that was, that's where a lot of addictions lie. It's not a lack of faith. It's just a lack of faith in God. But a tremendous unjustified faith in the things of this world. And once we start to understand how often our faith just gets hijacked, we can start to understand a little more where we we perhaps just need to find a way of moving our faith into an area that works better for us. And 
Unfortunately, at that point, we sometimes fall into the trap of putting our faith not in God, but our faith in faith itself. And even after I thought I was going to God and through going to certain churches, what I experienced, I found some religions out there that put their faith, they claimed they had faith in God, and I thought they did, but really what they were trying to foster was more of a faith in faith itself, like faith itself was some magic power. Faith was some magic key that unlocked the treasure chests of heaven. And the deception that I came into as a newcomer to this was I looked at certain people, and I thought if anybody has faith, it's these guys because they have stuff going on. (laughs) They got the woo-woo stuff, and I thought that is what strong faith looks like. Because they're praying and their prayers are getting answered. And they are laying hands on people and they're getting well. And they're commanding things and those things are happening. And they're prophesying and accurately predicting the future. And I'm seeing and speaking in tongues and all this. And I'm not trying to diminish that. And I'm not at all accusing them of of some of those things not being real. But the point I am making is early on, I thought, that is strong faith. But then I get into the Bible, and I read lines that say, like in 2 Corinthians 5, For we live by faith and not by sight. Most translations, for we walk by faith and not by sight. And then we get into uh, Hebrews, where it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And it started to occur to me that even though this is faith, and perhaps it's real, it's not the strongest faith. And eventually, the people I came to admire and respect the most were not the people that had faith that manifested itself in miracles, but rather the people that had enough faith that even when they didn't get what they wanted, even when it seemed like God had abandoned them, they still got up every morning and they said their prayers and they put one foot in front of the other and they did the best they could with what they had, no matter what, even all this evidence telling them that they had been abandoned. And they never lost their faith and their trust in God. And I thought, I've came to understand now that is a faith that works. Because despite what they experienced, they still knew that God is good. And God has their backs. And in one way or another, things will eventually work out for the greater good. So through that experience, I started to understand that I can't always measure the quality of a person's belief just by the external signs and wonders and and what I always called the woo-woo-woo stuff going on. And I started to have a greater respect for those that when when they got on their knees and said their prayers, their prayers bounced off the bedroom ceiling and landed back in their lap, and they felt like they were just talking to their knuckles. And they felt like nothing was changing, but yet they they knew that God was with them. And that impressed me. 
So as we look at this story uh, today in the book of Mark, the fifth chapter, where it talks about a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and said, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. One of the things that does kind of amuse me in here is the way that the uh, NIV translates this. It has that line, she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. <laughs> it really relates her suffering to the doctors and not her affliction. <laughs> they maybe could have worded that a little differently, but <laughs> but for those that know me, I I really do believe that God designed our bodies to heal themselves and given the right nutrients and the right conditions, I believe that we're designed to heal. And, you know, and sometimes I think that just like this woman 2,000 years ago, she spent all the money she had. She went to the, all the doctors she could find. But sometimes even that is not enough. There are afflictions that we can come under that no matter how good of doctors we have or the finest medical care or the advances in technology, we still sometimes have problems that not only we can't solve, but nobody can solve. And so often it's true that where we find God is at the end of our rope. So in this woman's case, out of her desperation, she finds out, she hears about Christ. So she goes and finds him. And it's interesting in this passage that her faith really wasn't in God so much as her faith was in God's power. So unlike some that would have approached Christ and just made an appeal for healing, she didn't even do that, did she? She just thought, if I can just touch not even his garment, one translation, the hem of his garment. You know, sometimes they hem the bottom, which almost could imply that she even crawled up and just touched the very bottom of a garment, whatever, however it played out. And But she didn't even grab it. She just thought, if I just touch it, I will be healed. And it turned out she was very right. So her faith was that this Christ, this Jesus, whoever he was, had that ability, had the power. And in her mind, what she lacked was connection. It's kind of like if I had a lamp up here that didn't work and I'm complaining about this lamp not lighting up, you go, well, the problem is it's not plugged in. So you plug it into the wall and you turn it on and then it lights up. 
You see, plugging it in, making that contact alone doesn't make it light up. What makes it light up is the electricity. Plugging it in is necessary, but even if we make contact with God, he still has to have the power and the will to make that happen. And sometimes we leave that part out. Somebody might walk away, well, I fixed the lamp, I plugged it in. Oh, and did you invent electricity too? <laughs> did you go build the power plant and go shovel the coal into it? <laughs> no. So we still, even if we say the prayers, we still need a living, loving Lord to answer. So she goes through this process. She finds Christ and touches him, touches him and gets healed. And what I love about this account is Christ turns around and immediately wants to know who she is. And I, this passage, who touched me? Who touched my clothes? See, we did a teaching a long time ago where we talked about the challenge of reading the words of Christ in context and content because so many times we read these things, but we don't understand what how Christ was motivated in what he said. And, you know, it's like sending somebody a text and they take it wrong. <laughs> oh, I, you know, they, they read anger into it or they read something into it that was never intended. And so we came up with the example. Imagine if you were an actor and you were hired to play the role of Jesus and the, the script was simply the Holy Bible. You were just going to go through the New Testament and put these different events on film. So if you had a King James or a red letter edition of the Bible, your script would be to just say the words of Christ. The challenge as an actor is how would you say them? Like take the line, O ye of little faith. There's a hundred ways of delivering that line. You could deliver it cynically, oh, ye of little faith, or mockingly, oh, ye of little faith, or with anger, oh, ye of little faith. Or you could deliver it with frustration, ah, ye a little faith. Or you could, uh, you could say it with, uh, you know, with fear, oh, ye a little faith, like I'm blowing it, they're not getting it. See, we know, as Christians, the way that Christ said every word in that Bible. He said it with love. Everything God does. Everything God refuses to do is always, always, always motivated by love. So how did he say this line? Who touched my clothes? He said it with love. Now, I would, when I first read that, I thought, you know, it was with anger. Who, who touched me? Oh, he's going to turn around like, you know, like that Bruce Lee thing. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but. Who touched me? And But to realize he did it with love. Be, why did he say that? Because he wanted to know her. And you see, it's really about relationship. It's not just God. Christ did not come to this earth to be the world's best doctor. He didn't come here to be the world's best teacher. He came here to be the world's best savior, the world's perfect sacrifice. But he does it in relation. So the reason why he didn't just want to heal her, but he wanted to know her. And I think even more importantly, he wanted her to know him. So after the 
this healing takes place, what he really tried to do was make a connection. And it's interesting that she responded with fear. She fell at his feet and trembling with fear. Because, and you think, well, what was she afraid of exactly? Well, if I found myself in that position, I might be afraid that uh, he was going to take it back. <laughs> I felt this relief, and now I have to worry, oh, my gosh, he's going to think I stole something, and he's going to want it back. So she might have been afraid of losing this gift she received. She might have been afraid of just him being angry or yelling at her. Or uh, it might have even been motivated by a higher thing, because in that Jewish culture, they had a big thing about being clean and unclean, and if somebody came into contact with a, somebody who was bleeding under these circumstances, it would make them unclean, and then they had to go through a ceremonial cleansing period, and it was really a big hassle, and religious leaders would get very angry if you did something to make them unclean, because now they have to go through this whole hassle of becoming clean again. and So this person being a, a religious or spiritual teacher, obviously she wouldn't want to be accused or guilty of perhaps rendering Christ unclean by touching him. So she, and isn't that even true that sometimes even with the best of motives, We'd like to pray to God, but we don't want to bother him. <laughs> He's busy, got a lot on his plate. <laughs> so we, you know, even in care and concern for God, we tend to pull away and, and not approach him. So she might have had very good reasons to be afraid, uh, and she might have just been afraid of the public humiliation. Because, again, being with her affliction, it would have made her less than in society. Because back then, a lot of times, if you had ills that could not be cured, they tended to say, well, God did this to you probably because of something you did first. So it was a punishment. So a lot of people would look at her as being less than, like she's supposed to be suffering all these years because she's being punished for something. And sometimes I think we feel like that, too. You know, I, I remember years ago I had a summer job building a house up in Cactus Heights in Sioux Falls. And, uh, you know, somebody said I hammered like lightning. I go, you know, fast and strong. No, you never strike twice in the same place. <laughs> and <laughs> But I remember a lot of times banging my thumb with a hammer. What was weird, even back then, every time I hit myself in the thumb with a hammer, my head would say, that was God. I, I swear, I would make this connection like that was a punishment, like I had that coming because of something I did the night before. It's just like every time I got a pain, my lower nature would seize on that opportunity. You had that coming. You deserved that. You know, God's out to get you. It had nothing to do with God hitting me in the thumb. That was me. <laughs> but how quick we are to use God as a scapegoat. So... In this story, then, one of the things that we often miss about faith is that faith is a gift. That's why one of the things I published in here out of the book of Mark, the ninth chapter, I'll tell you, if there's one guy that gets it, it's the guy in this passage where this person approaches Jesus because his son is sick, and he says to him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. 
If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. (laughs) That was great. That guy covered all the bases, didn't he? (laughs) He admitted, yeah, I have faith, but please give me more. That was perfect. It reminds me of a Uh, In recovery circles, they often talk about how this is a program of honesty. And one time a guy asked, well, how honest exactly do I need to be to make it in this deal? (laughs) Rigorous honesty, does that mean a lot, a lot, or just a lot? (laughs) Uh, We've got a little wiggle room, we're going to negotiate this. And I love the answer the guy got. The guy, somebody across the table says, if you're honest enough to admit you're dishonest, you're honest enough to make it in here. Wow, that is profound. And you see, if we have enough faith to realize that we lack faith, that that's enough to get started. We, the Bible talks about the faith of a mustard seed. Just It doesn't take a whole lot. Just like in this account, she didn't need to get Christ's attention or hug him or embrace him or do a big ritualistic thing. Just the lightest touch was all it took. You see, sometimes if we just had a little faith in the right direction, it would take us so much farther than a ton of faith in a wrong direction. And I I love that account. But unfortunately... When we have faith in God, we might believe in his power, but not so much in his goodness and willingness. And that's why all too often when we pray, I think we find ourselves trying to overcome the will of a reluctant God instead of praying in alignment with a willing God. It's like we've got to coerce him somehow. But I think a lot of our conceptions of God come from our childhood and how we relate to our earthly parents. Sometimes I think if we just wear them down, we ask them enough times, they'll give us what we want. Or you got to negotiate the art of the deal. If you want a cookie, ask for a bicycle. <laughs> you know, eventually you'll land on cookie where you want it to be anyway. <laughs> you know, you know. I think any four-year-old could have wrote Trump's Art of the Deal, and I don't mean that despairingly. I mean, that's true. Kids are master manipulators and negotiators. But, but that sometimes we pray like that, and we carry that into adulthood. And even worse, sometimes we misunderstand how God answers prayer. I'll tell you, one of the most horrible things I ever heard theology-wise, I'm sitting again, and in some recovery circles, and this guy blurts out, be careful of what you pray for, you might get it. And I thought already, oh, here it comes. <laughs> and he says, yeah, I prayed to God to quit smoking, and he answered my prayer by giving me a heart attack. Now I can't work. And I thought, I swear, I threw up in my mouth a little. And <laughs> more than a little. And, and I just thought, my God. Oh, my God, this guy believes that. And I thought, that is horrible. Because in his mind, he thinks that that's how God does business. And he, it just blows right past those things in the Bible where it says even in the natural, even earthly parents, it's written, if you ask your 
earthly father for bread? Will he give you a stone? If you ask him for meat, is he going to hand you a snake? Uh, if you ask for an egg, will he hand you a scorpion? He goes, even the rules of common decency dictate that human people wouldn't do that. So God Almighty certainly isn't going to do that. But so often we think we get what's an answer, and then we turn around and we think that somehow God is messing with us. And but and yet another example of that is imagine even during Christ's time how people felt when they're in the crowd looking for a healing for themselves, other people get healed and they don't. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of kind of a diss too, isn't it? So just like us, we're going, how come that guy got healed and I didn't? How come they got their prayers answered and I didn't? And you see, to, to wrap all this up, I think the real point that I was hoping to make today is just that understanding that God is good, but he is also a perfect parent. I was raised with some kids that always got what they wanted. They, everything they asked for, they got, and rarely did those kids turn out okay. <laughs> so it's not that God withholds things from us just because we don't deserve it, we didn't ask him right, or we somehow didn't meet these technical conditions. Sometimes God, as a perfect parent, has a greater plan. Sometimes we hate pain and suffering, but sometimes we need that because there are lessons to be found in that. Sometimes through our pain and suffering, we not only can we sometimes experience God better in those circumstances, but sometimes it's also better from a ministry perspective. See, there's an account. I wish I could remember all of the details, but the gist of it was years ago, I had heard about this gentleman who was trying to help somebody else. He had recovered from alcoholism, and part of that process was he was really invested in trying to help other people recover. But he was going through this super low spot in his life. Uh, he had had an economic downturn. Uh, he had ended up filing for bankruptcy. He went broke, and in the midst of that, his wife left him, took his kids away from him, and he was like everything falling apart. But he got this call to go visit a guy at the local detox center. So he went over and starts telling this guy about recovery and how important it was. In the midst of it, he just breaks down bawling. And he's going, wow, I'm really doing a great job of this, <laughs> you know. And so he starts telling the guy about his problems. He goes, look, I'm, I apologize profusely, he says. I, this is so important for you. I just wanted to make this trip and talk to you about this, but I'm the worst example of recovery ever. He goes, I'm bankrupt, my family left. But he says, despite all that, I'm here not only to help you, but to help myself. This is part of how I stay sober. And a few days later, he gets a call from this guy, and the guy comes over to visit him, and he says, I want what you have. And he goes, no, you don't. <laughs> Nobody wants what I have. And he goes, no, you don't understand. He says, when I was in detox, I met people in these recovery programs, and a lot of them had great lives. They came in, they're dressed nice, they're healthy, they're driving nice cars. I know they live in big houses, have trophy wives. And he goes, I could stay sober, too, if I had all that. <laughs> but he goes, if I was in your shoes, I would be drunker than all get out. <laughs> I don't know how you do that. 
He says, I don't know how you have all these problems, and not only are you making it, but you took time out to come and help me. And he goes, that's impressive. He goes, you have something that I want. And the guy never saw it from that angle. He never thought of it that way. You see, just because we might still be sick or not be the recipients of a miracle on the terms that we want doesn't mean that we're not given the power to persevere because that's what it's about. Not just the power to heal, but the power to endure. And with that in mind, we're going to do communion. And as we go and take the elements, uh, uh, I hope that what we focus on through this process today is just that there is a seat at God's table for us. And despite what our circumstances are, positive or negative, good or bad in this world, the real communion that we hope to celebrate is personally in heaven with Christ, all of us together, all of our loved ones, past, present, and future, together with one, sharing a meal, sharing fellowship, And that is what we live for, and ultimately that is God's answer to all our prayers. Lord, you are good, and so is everything at that bake sale in the back of the room. So is that a good segue or what? I can't believe Jay Murphy doesn't hire me for that radio station. But please remember the bake sale, and our prayer today is a very simple one. Because you are good, as we go out from here, may it be unto each one of us according to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.